What important things do you have to do this week? As you think about what's ahead, here we are. This is the first day of the week, so a whole new week is out there in front of us. What kind of things you got to do? Important. I'm talking about there's all kinds of things to do, but what are the most important things on your list? Well, that varies, I'm sure, with depending on your job, what you do. Uh, school is usually has a lot of important functions, but we're out of school, and we're rejoicing in the fact that school's out at least for a while, but so some of our young people have a, a exciting week of camp activities coming up. Seems pretty important to them. Uh, and then we've got recreational pursuits that we want to engage in, and, and we put some significance in those. Those are important, but we, we actually work pretty hard at relaxing. We work pretty hard at our recreation. And so that's important to us, too. Lots of important things. Uh, on your list, I know you probably mentally have already composed a list of things you need to be doing this week. Maybe, like some folks, you actually write down things. you got to get this done this week, all important things. But I'm going to tell you, no matter what's on your list, whether it's a written list or one you keep in your mind, there's nothing that you have to do this week that is any more important than what you're doing right now. We're starting out the week worshiping God, and that is so very important. And we want to talk about our worship this morning. Because it is so important. And we want to make just some simple observations about worship in our study together for the next few minutes. Stop here to thank you all for being present on this Lord's Day. Glad that we have this privilege to come together and that we live in a place where it is so easy and convenient and unopposed. When nobody, nobody's tried to stop you at a military checkpoint and ask for your papers and where are you going, what are you doing, and no, you can't do that when it comes to worship. There are places in the world where it's like that. And that if you were trying to come together with God's people to worship, you would be opposed. People would try to stop you. But it's not that way for us, and we're privileged to be able to be together uh, without interference this morning. We need to thank God for these privileges, and certainly we need to take advantage of them and not take them for granted. And I think that is your mindset this morning that brings you, and we're glad for that. Thanks for being here as we join together in worshiping God. Let's talk about worship. And I want to start out with just making some observations about some false ideas people have about worship. There are lots of them, and we're certainly not going to touch them all, but there are some false ideas of worship out there. And the first of them that I want to mention is simply that people view worship as merely an emotional experience. I think there are a lot of people who apparently think that if they can reach an emotional high, then they have achieved success when it comes to worship. And it's about them, and it's about their emotional involvement in the activity that is taking place. And so because of that, we see scenes. I know you have seen these scenes of supposed worship services that appear very much to be like a rock concert. Uh, and there are flashing lights and there are smoke generators and, and people standing in their seats and swaying with their hands in the air and their eyes closed at uh, a very intense emotional experience going on. And in fact, all of the particulars of those kinds of assemblies are designed for the purpose of generating an emotional high. And people think that if they can achieve that emotional high, they have worshipped and done so in a very good way. I think if you were to ask some of those people, if you were later to ask them about what went on 
and especially ask them about any points of Bible, any, any biblical concepts that they were taught during those... My guess is that most of those people wouldn't have a clue. They couldn't name a single thing that they learned about God or His will or the things taught in the Bible because that's not what it is. What it is is just an occasion to experience an emotional high. I don't know, I may be stretching to make this point, but some of the way people involved in these sort of emotional experiences seems to me sort of like the riot that broke out in Ephesus when the Apostle Paul went there preaching. Now, it was a different scene, obviously, but notice how the people felt. It says, some therefore cried one thing. This is Acts 19, verse 32. Some therefore cried one thing and some another. For the assembly was confused and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. They didn't even know why they were there. They didn't know. They were involved. They were intensely involved, but they didn't even know what they were doing. They didn't even know what they were there for. And i got to believe that sometimes the way people approach these emotional worship experiences is sort of like that. And people equate emotions and worship almost identically, and they're not. They're not. And I think that's one of the false views that people have. Now, we're going to talk in a minute about emotions in religion. And there is certainly a place for emotions. But it's not like what we have just described. Another false view that people have about worship is that it's about us. It's about us rather than being about God. (coughs) Now, again, I would link this to the first point. The first point was if I can get myself all excited emotionally, that's, that's good. That's worship. And this would be closely tied to the idea because in reality, it's all about me anyway. What we're doing here is about me and and very little emphasis about God and glorifying Him. People have, unfortunately, a very self-centered view when it comes to this sort of thing. And to illustrate that, I want to read to you a quote from Victoria Osteen. You know who she is? She's the wife of Joel Osteen, who is one of the best-known televangelists these days. He, He is the pastor of a big denominational church down in Texas, and of course he's on TV a lot. People know him, a very flashy guy, and uh, he is ranked among one of the richest religious leaders in America today. I saw recently where his estimated net worth is over $40 million, and so this has all made him a very wealthy sort of guy. A while back, his wife made the news because of this quote. Let me read it to you. I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives Him the greatest joy. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship Him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen? That's the, way that, that's the way that she worded it. And again, several people picked up on that quote in, in a critical way. She was criticized pretty strongly uh, over those statements. Now, i got to say that it is true in a sense that God doesn't need what we're doing here this morning. God is in heaven. He's an eternal being. God existed for a whole eternity before He created the earth. He, he existed for a whole eternity. He didn't have mortal human beings around to worship Him. He did fine. And after this world is destroyed, after the physical 
universe is consumed. God's going to continue on for an eternity without any human beings around to worship. He doesn't need that. God, God is not up there in heaven with his mouth open just waiting for us to worship him as though he was dependent upon us to do that. And so in that sense, there's some of that statement I suppose you could agree with, but I really don't think that's what she had in mind. I think what she had in mind is it's all about us. Because God, he, He's so happy if we're happy. What really brings Him joy is for us to be happy. We're doing this for ourselves. We're doing this to elevate ourselves. And that is this self-centered view that so many people have. It's all about us. It's very little about God. And I really believe that's a, a false concept that we need to root out of any thinking in our mind. It's about God. It's not about us. It is about God. And then there is this idea that anything goes. So, it's just emotional. It's really about us. It's not about God. And therefore, anything we want to do is acceptable. And I just think that that's so clearly evident in, all, in so much of the news that we see. Let me give you a couple examples out of the news. I, I actually saw a video clip of this, and I thought about putting the video into this PowerPoint. I thought, ah, no, maybe I probably wouldn't be decent and orderly. But there was this guy in Ohio, Lawrence Bishop, co-pastor of Solid Rock Church in Monroe, Ohio, announced that he was going to ride a bull in the church building to get people to services. Quote, what God laid in our, on our heart is to do buck... Uh, what he laid on our heart to do is to buck two wild rodeo bucking bulls inside the church sanctuary as a tool to get people to come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this guy in Ohio announced, we're going to... They actually built a bull ring. In, they had a large, obviously a large auditorium, and they built a bull ring in there, and the idea was to, to ride to bulls, bull riding. But again, with the idea of bringing people to church service, well, interesting, it didn't work out too well. This is the video. I, he lasted three seconds, got bucked off, and got trampled by the bull. It says, in front of a packed church, Pastor Lawrence Bishop II climbed up on the back of a snorting, anxious bull named Bone Crusher. The animal was let loose, and Bishop hung on, as tight as he uh, held on tight as he was bucked around in the ring uh, that he built inside the, his Ohio church, he lasted about three seconds before being thrown off and trampled, battered and bruised. The 48-year-old preacher then picked himself up, climbed to safety, and began his sermon. When he asked new believers to come forward to be baptized, the response was huge. About 300 people stepped up. Well, what would he say? Well, he got, he got thrown off and he got trampled. The video actually shows him, his hand got hung in the rope and the bull drug him around, stomped on him and then gored him. Uh, obviously no, no life-threatening injuries, I suppose. Uh, but he got up and preached and three, 300 people came to the altar call. And you know what he would say? Huge, in fact, he did. I saw the interview subsequent to that. Huge success. Huge success. Uh, whatever it takes, anything goes, whatever you want to do. But you know, if you think about that, if the first two points we made, if it's just about emotions, that would, man, you were talking about an emotionally power-packed situation, watching that, that preacher get trampled by that bull and then get up to preach. Well, that'd be emotionally power-packed, right? Uh, and really, it's all about us anyway. And therefore, anything goes. That All that sort of fits together, don't you agree? All of that sort of mindset flows together. Here's another example. Did you know down in Texas there's what's called the Bar Church? 
a satellite church of the Southern Hills Church of Christ in Abilene, Texas. You know, we like to think that the denomination, some of the denominations, they're way out there in left field. You know, they're really crazy. This is actually a church of Christ in Abilene, Texas. The church meets in a bar, and on their website it says, sermons will be short and alcohol will be served only when the service is over. <laughs> Meeting in a bar. Well, you have people drink in a bar, right? But you can't drink right during the worship services. After worship is over, we'll break that. We'll break out the alcohol after worship services are over. The bar church in Abilene, Texas. You know, there's actually a church meeting in a bar in Nashville, too. Uh, an offshoot of one of the churches of liberal churches of Christ in Nashville. And you might be surprised at some of the people who are going to that bar church in Nashville. You might be surprised. Anything goes, right? Anything goes. But really, if it's just about getting high emotionally, and if it's really about us, it's not so much about God, then you could do anything you wanted, right? And they do. They do. Now, that's just some observations about false ideas people have. Now, we could expand that list. I think there's a whole lot more possible points that we could add there under false ideas about worship. But I want to talk about, just for a moment, what true worship is. And... And we could build a long list here, but we're just going to make a couple simple observations about true worship. First of all, true worship is directed toward God. It's not directed toward man. And since true worship is to be directed toward God, then just common sense tells us that we should be interested in doing what pleases Him instead of what our own whims and fancies might dictate. We ought to be wanting to please Him not satisfy ourselves. Doesn't that make sense? If worship is directed toward Him, then we ought to want to know and and do everything in such a fashion as it would please Him to whom we're directing our worship. Just a few verses from the Psalms. Chapter 7, verse 17. I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Chapter 9, verse 2. I will, I will be glad and rejoice in Thee. I will sing praise to Thy name, O Thou Most High. Chapter 22, verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. And you can multiply, even just from the book of Psalms, you can multiply the verses that suggest this is all about him. This is to him. This is about honoring him. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's why we're here. We've come here this morning with the absolute number one purpose and priority of our assembly to honor and glorify our Father which is in heaven. That's what it's for. Okay? And that being the case, then, we should be intensely interested in doing it the way He wants it done. It's for Him. It's, it's about honoring Him. And therefore, we're not going to do it just to suit ourselves. We're going to do it the way that He said to do it. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we offer to God, notice, an acceptable service with reverence and awe. We are to offer an acceptable service to God. Well, what's implied in that is that you could offer something that wouldn't be acceptable to Him, right? If there is a distinction of acceptable worship, then wouldn't it also be necessarily implied that you could worship God in an unacceptable way? I think that's definitely the case. So true worship... Directed toward God, therefore, ought to be done like He says. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, uh, we're, we're just not getting it at all 
if we're not directing it toward God, and doing it according to His commands. This point follows closely with the previous ones, or the previous one rather, directed toward God, done according to His commands. Look in Leviticus chapter 10. I think you recognize this passage very well. It's about Nadab and Abihu, right? We reference them pretty often because their, their story tells such a powerful point. Nadab and Abihu. Read that with me again. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Stop there for a minute. You've heard, you've heard this preached hundreds of times, I'm sure. Those of you who are older, at least. Fire. There was a specified place to get your fire from. And they didn't go there. But, huh. You know, you could just hear, you can just hear people's worldly minds grinding here. Fire is fire. Fire is fire. I don't see a big deal about that. What does it matter where you get your fire? We're, all, we're worshiping God anyway. We're burning this incense. What does it matter where we get the fire? Fire's fire. What's the big deal? Seems like a minor point to me. Sometimes we even hear people make the phrase, ah, oh, we should stop majoring in minors. That's a minor thing. The major thing is worship God. Burn this incense. Well, you get the idea that God was interested in the... Well, first of all, I don't think we can distinguish major and minor points when it comes to what God has said. Who has the who has the authority to say that's a minor point, that's a major point? Nobody has that authority. But you get the idea that God is certainly interested in the details here. And so, what happened? You know what happened? There went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Notice then Moses said to Aaron. Now Aaron was their father, and I think Aaron would have had obvious reason to be distraught over what happened. Moses said to Aaron, this is, uh, this is it that the Lord spake, saying, Notice, I will be sanctified in them that come before me, and before all the people I will be glorified. Now that statement, this is, this is that the Lord spake. The Lord said, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh to me. Before all the people I will be glorified. But he's referencing Nadab and Abihu, right? Nadab and Abihu did not sanctify the Lord. They did not glorify Him. Why not? Because they didn't do what He said the way He said to do it, right? Isn't that so? They didn't worship God the way God had prescribed for Himself to be worshipped. And therefore, God said, I wasn't glorified by what they did. What did we say was the reason for our coming together? To glorify God. Well, you're just wasting your time. If you're not going to do it the way He said to do it, He's not glorified in that. You may be getting that emotional high, but you're not glorifying God if you're not worshipping Him the way He said to worship Him. Do you get that? It's a familiar story about Nadab and Abihu, but I'm going to tell you that one of the takeaways has got to be God is not glorified when we're just doing what we want to do the way we want to do it. He's only glorified when we do His will, His way. And that is so very important. You know John 4, verse 24 very well. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him, notice, must worship Him in spirit. It's not optional. Spirit and truth. You've got to have that heartfelt involvement. But you've got to be doing it according to truth. It must be so or it's not acceptable worship. And then, let's talk about emotions for a minute. I believe true worship 
should and, and does provoke the right kind of emotions. Do emotions have a place in our religion? Absolutely so. I, I, and I, I wouldn't want anybody to leave and say, the preacher said we shouldn't be emotional about our worship. That's not the case at all. Real, true worship does produce in us the right kinds of emotion. And so, uh, again, stressing, proper worship should evoke proper emotions, but the emotions don't produce the worship. The worship produces the emotions. Uh, look at an Old Testament example from Second Chronicles chapter 23, verse 18. Jehoiada appointed the offices of the house of the Lord by the hand of the priests, the Levites, whom David had distributed in the house of the Lord to offer burnt offerings of the Lord. Notice, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and with singing as it is ordained by David. As it was ordained by David. Notice, here's the first part. Do it like it's written in the law and then let there be rejoicing relative to that. And I really think that's got to be the, the, the order of events when it comes to our, we're not worshiping uh, like they did in the Old Testament times. We understand that. Nobody, nobody's misunderstanding that point. But I think the principle set forth here is very important. Do the first thing first. Do it as prescribed to them as was written in the Law of Moses. For us, as it's identified in the New Testament. Do it like it's prescribed by God. And then engage in that with rejoicing. And that's the proper order. That's the way it ought to be. Uh, see it again here in Psalm 19, verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. First part, the statutes of the Lord, that's what's right. And based upon what's right, we can rejoice in the heart. That's the way it's got to be. And finally, the good example in the reading that Stephen read for us earlier of the Ethiopian eunuch. won't take time to read all this again. You know the story well. Philip taught the eunuch. The eunuch heard the truth, believed it, wanted to know, can I be baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all thine heart, thou mayest. And so he was baptized. Any emotions in that story about the Ethiopian eunuch? Yeah, right there. Whoops, back up. Right there at the end, he went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing is an emotion, right? Where did, where did the emotions come in? Did he get high emotionally and then act upon his emotions? No. He heard, believed, made a conscious, rational decision to obey the truth, and then because he had done what was right before God, he was able to rejoice in that. And that's the, that's the order that it needs to be. True worship does produce emotions, but they got to be in the right place. Well, there's a lot more we could say about true worship, too, but we just wanted to make those simple observations. A lot of, you know, you would think that worship, the concept of worship would be so common that everybody would get that. But we know that a lot of people are missing the boat entirely when it comes to the subject of worship. Thanks for your close attention to what we've had to say. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Is your heart right with God? Have you done the things necessary to be a child of God? Have you obeyed the plan of salvation? Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If not, we urge you to make that decision without delay. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been serving the Lord faithfully, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.